Some people see a problem and immediately rise to the occasion. Jim Estill is one of those people. When in 2015 Jim learned about the struggles facing those in war-ravaged Syria, he refused to wait for government to step in, putting his money, skills, and connections to good use. As of today, the president and CEO of Danby Appliances has sponsored over 400 Syrian refugees in his hometown of Guelph, Ontario, providing some with skills training and jobs too. More recently, Jim made COVID-19 his focus when he added life-saving ventilators to the Danby product line. With the mantra, do the right thing, his inspiration, and giving back his guide, Jim's leadership is certainly one to watch and to follow. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs and change makers impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. For those asking, my book, also titled In the Business of Change, Profiling Social Entrepreneurs Around the World, is now available in audiobook format too, with me as your trusty narrator. You can find it wherever you normally buy your books and audiobooks, including Amazon or on our website. On today's episode, we speak with Jim Estill. CEO of Danby Appliances and dedicated philanthropist. In our conversation, Jim shares how his do-the-right-thing philosophy inspires both his professional and personal choices. It also led him to being awarded the Order of Ontario and Order of Canada, among other accolades. We then discuss the responsibility of corporate leaders in our communities and how his unique view of wealth underpins his decisions each and every day. Let's go back a few years, because that was when, you know, you really started getting into the news. Was was a f- number of years ago when you decided to do some, to help out uh, Syrian refugees making their way into Canada. Um, that was in 2015 when it sort of started, that whole process, right? It started right? in 2015, yeah. So tell us, you know, what, what prompted that? Why, why you? Why did you decide that you needed to step up? Well, that, that was a humanitarian crisis. At that time, it was the humanitarian crisis, and, and as an entrepreneur, I didn't think it was happening fast enough. So I, of course, go and say, well, how can I solve it? So I said, oh, I can solve it by sponsoring, because Canada has a, a private sponsorship program. So I decided I'd sponsor 50 Syrian refugee families, and somehow the press got a hold of it. I said at first when they called me, oh, no, I don't really want to talk about it. Like Because before that, I was already doing a lot of things like, donating to, you know, the Salvation Army and the Hope House and the uh, hospice and stuff like that. So you're already doing all of that. But on those, they can be passive donations because I didn't have to do the work. The problem with the Syrian refugee thing, if I sponsor 50 families, I can't go to the airport 50 times and set up 50 apartments and 50 um, register all their kids in school and 50 bank accounts and 50 uh, bus passes and ride the bus with 50 families and whatnot. So I needed to do it on scale but as a business person that's what i do i do things on scale so um uh, yeah that's what i did i'm basically just responding to the humanitarian need that's what i did and then you actually did you not hire some 
Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, and, and then, see, then I got people here, and what I believe is important, it, I, you have to define success. So success was people speaking English, um, working, and some degree of integration. That's the your definition. And then when I got them here and we said working, I would send them to my friend. At first, I wasn't going to hire anybody for fear that I would be accused of hiring slave labor for my factories. And then what I did is I got them here and then I would send them to my friends to work and find out, hey, they, they weren't quite job ready. They needed more English. So we started a program we called Ease into Canada, which was 90 days where we would hire any refugee in Guelph, not just ones I sponsored. And we had a focus on ESL. So there was ESL in class and we had English lunch buddies and English word of the day and English homework and English coach. And then we did resume writing and then we did uh, a job coach to say, okay, well, let's go through the job uh, ads and what we might be qualified for. And okay, here's how we can apply. And you know, what should you say? What should you wear? Um, blah, blah, blah. So we coached people out um, and that's that's how I ended up uh, employing. And then if and then when we had permanent openings, we would they, anyone was welcome to apply. So if you uh, were working for us and if you did a great job, if we needed people, then of course we did that. And, and but people moved through the program. The purpose of the refugee program is to help people get through a hard time. It's not. It's way easier than solving homelessness. Right. It, so if we tried to do everything, give every homeless person a home today. Right. You're going to have homelessness two years from now. It's not easily solved where the refugee, the refugees we brought in, they're just like you or I, but they could no longer live where they were. It was unsafe. Their houses were bombed. They, someone took all their possessions, all their wealth, and they had to start over again. But that's what they did. They came to Canada. They started over again. And now they have to do their own path with their own people. And all I did was open the door. And I said that when I got people interviews, I said, okay, I will, make an introduction, you have to get the job, and you have to keep it. I'm not going to, um, but but I'll open the door for you. So. And that opening of the doors is is uh, what led you to uh, a couple of uh, awards, the Order of Ontario, Order of Canada, right? I mean, you, you received yeah. some uh, thanks for, for that opening and for the, the y yeah. your support, right? Yeah, but you know how crazy that is. How crazy? What you're doing is... They are giving me an award for doing the right thing. Right. It's like, okay, let's give me an award because I don't kick the grandmother that falls down in the middle of the road. Like, I should get an award. I didn't steal her purse. No. This is this is so crazy. Um, and, and it's even not on a scale that is unusual. Like, it, it, it's, it's maybe on a scale that's unusual for one for, for a person, but not for a company. Like, do you know how many companies are bigger than Danby Appliances in Canada? But how many I, of them are doing that? It, it's got to be, uh, would it be a thousand bigger than Danby? Or uh, there's there's hundreds. There's right. not like, uh, and like, this is why when I see companies making a big deal, oh, we're donating, you know, we're Facebook. We just donated $100,000. Oh, great. You donated $100,000. That's uh, real proportional. It's like me saying to uh, um, Elisa, uh, would you have eight cents I could have? Like, it's, it's you know, you make a very good point, and at the same time, obviously, we're we live in a society where corporate leaders are not necessarily standing up the way you are. So, um, you know, it it obviously it, it 
they wanted to thank you for those efforts. And it's, it's kind of, and this brings me to the question of, do you feel that corporate leaders, and we'll get back to the other stuff in a second, because you just brought me to this one. Do you feel they're stepping up enough? Um, let's say we look in Canada. Um, do you think they could be doing better? Do you think they have, it, do they somehow, are they obligated in any way, do you feel, or should they feel obligated to step up in bigger ways? I, I mean, we, you don't know everyone else's circumstances True. and it's easy to throw stones and say, you should do this. Um, matter of fact, a lot of people threw stones at me for sponsoring Syrian refugees. Hey, oh, why don't you help the homeless? Right. Well, you know, I kind of did don't help a lot, a lot of homeless, but th- th- that's, you know, yeah. so I don't throw stones, but I do think corporate could step up more and where business could step up more is businesses know how to organize things. So we had 800 volunteers doing the Syrian refugee thing. So every family that came in got four or five mentor families, and they had checklists of, you know, take them to grocery store and get the bus pass, ride the bus with them, and blah, blah, blah. And then they um, had scorecards. How is the family doing? Oh, the 14-year-old needs an English tutor, or they need a dentist, or whatever. Um, that's business organization. So I say, if you can run a company with 800 people, you can run a volunteer organization with 800 people, and I love the church groups that were doing it, lots of church groups doing it, but they just don't know how to do scale. Like they don't have 800 people in their congregation and they don't think as, uh, I don't know, in as organized or scalable way that a business can think. At the same time, I also know that most businesses take the approach that, that they are in business to make money for them. And but they don't want to look too bad, so they're going to do a little bit of uh, window dressing because you know you don't want to you don't want to look too bad. As long as people are watching, uh, then we'll we'll uh, we'll do that. But uh, but but that's because my my view of wealth is weird. So what, what I, is your view of wealth? Then let's get to that. All right, my view of wealth is you need to have a certain amount for security. You know, I, I I'm worried about you know what happens if I end up in a home in a home and it's going to cost me a lot of money. I, I I worry about that just like everybody else. But beyond a certain level, everything it's just paper. It 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 should you should give it away. Like why? Well, I actually don't want a second home. I don't want a jet. I don't want a bear. Like, and so I'm as wealthy as a billionaire, as a ten billionaire, because I have everything I want. They have everything they want, and. Unfortunately, many wealthy people end up with this twisted view that they need. I know people who are $100 million and they need more money. Like, how many meals can I eat? I mean, how many meals should I eat? Um, <laughs> more it, and more. I mean, that's healthy for me to eat as many calories <laughs> as I could have $100 million. And how could you ever spend it? And, and the responsibility of ownership and the stress and like. Um, so, anyway, I work to try to do good is what I try to do. So that's my thing. But I understand the need for business. You need working capital. You need to, like, I it can't give away my working capital or else uh, I can't, I ha- and I have to grow DMB. Right now we're in pandemic. What's my first responsibility? To keep my employees um, employed, to make sure that they get paid, to make sure, like, that's got to be first responsibility. And then as I make money, then, of course, I can do things. But I, I actually cut my charity budget to zero. Right now, I'm not donating. Okay. Why is that? Because I have to save. You have to. You have to make sure the mothership is strong. Right. Smart decisions needed all the time. Right. So, um, 
tell us a bit about, uh, you mentioned Anvi, so um, there are some things you are doing now um, within this this world of the pandemic world we're living in to contributing to um, ventilators. Right. So, and, so tell us a bit about that. So in the, um, you're reading about the pandemic and you see what's happening in Italy and people dying in the halls because they don't have a ventilator. So that was the crisis at that time. Canadians are going to die in the halls if we don't make ventilators. And of course, I being who I am, think I can do anything, which is wrong, and think, how tough can this be? I will make ventilators. So I decided to make ventilators. Couldn't do it alone, so I needed to call on some friends I have, um, ABS Friction and uh, um, Crystal Fountain and uh, JMP Solutions, and then we need to partner with Bayless Medical. We don't even have a medical license, and largely we're just providing the labor to assemble um, ventilators, and then we came up with a powered air purifying respirator, which is sort of a hood that uh, is better than a mask because you don't get any of the air coming around your shield or whatever. So we designed that product, we're making that, but and it has a secondary thing. That right now is employing 100 people, uh, more or less. Uh, it will employ 100 dandy people. That's, that's serving secondary purpose. Right. You keep good people and you... Uh, um, now, for what it's worth, ventilators are not as important as when I first started. And now we've learned that ventilators are not the best solution. These these PAPRs, powered air purifying respirators, that's a good solution because you can work shoulder to shoulder with someone in a meat plant, and and you're not. It's going through a medical filter, so you're you're not breathing any outside air. Um, so that type that product. That has a real use. Or if you're a security guard in a hospital or uh, a volunteer in a hospital, I don't want to wear just a mask and a shield because the droplets can be in the air. They can get around and, and whatnot. So that product maybe has more legs longer term. But we did have we do have a contract to make 10,000 ventilators for the government. So we're we're of course doing that. Okay. Okay. Um, just you're always getting your hands in where they're needed is basically what I'm getting at so um for that everyone uh, is thankful and appreciates all that um and and within your business itself i, I also know that you you you're always thinking in terms of um also in, environmentally like how you can contribute in and other ways that you can help provide a more sustainable future for our communities for our world um and that comes into play with uh, uh shipper b which is a new initiative that you launched love to hear about that yeah so shipper b is a new type of courier that saves 73.1% of the greenhouse gas per parcel shift. And if you look at, I mean, that's a huge amount. The number of parcels shift is going through the roof with, with pandemic. Um, there's not enough capacity. And so that's a company which we started about two years ago. Um, but we're still, you know, uh, launching and still um, starting that. Um, so by no normal accounts, I'd be crazy to start a courier. But... Uh, but why do you do it? This is this literally can make a major meaningful impact. What's the best thing we could do? Stop consumerism. Stop people from buying parcels. Can I do that? I'm not sure I can. Oh, I go on your podcast and then everybody says, "Oh, Jim says stop consumers. I'll I'll stop buying." <laughs> no, probably isn't going to happen. So let's uh, at least deliver them a little bit more environmentally uh, friendly. And so, how exactly does it does it work? If you so we're we're, we're an end to end courier just like uh, FedEx or UPS. So we uh, basically a business um, 
puts onto the website that they're shipping you a parcel, and then uh, shipper B driver picks it up. The way we save so much is it then doesn't go to a central sort hub. So you're not shipping a parcel from Guelph to Mississauga to Kitchener. It's going from Guelph to Kitchener, and it gets dropped at these mini hives because the name of the company is Shipper B, and then if someone picks it up at that hive and delivers it to the next hive, and then it goes to you, the consumer. But the middle leg, hive to hive, which is all along the interstates in North America, is while someone's driving onto the interstate going to Toronto and Guelph, they drop on, on Highway 6, they pick up 12 parcels and drop them off on the exit they're going off on in Toronto. So the part of the leg of that journey is traveling with what we call the power of while. What can you do while you're doing something anyways? Like when you come to visit me, when the pandemic's over, you can say, I am driving to Guelph, and it says, great. On your way, pick up 10 parcels, drop them in the hive, and the greenhouse gas on that is insignificant, just your time to pull into the gas station on uh, one end into the gas station on the other. Uh, and take, take cars off the road and trucks off the road. Um, it's just getting a better utilization of a, of a capital and, and energy footprint. Because if you drive here, you already have the capital cost. You already have the, the gas. You may as well maximize it. And there, it also solves a slight economic issue that most people don't quite have enough money. And so you can make a few dollars while you're doing something anyways. That's a, a win. Okay, great. Uh, any other initiatives on the horizon? Any other philanthropy on the horizon you want to talk about? Um, you're already doing more than enough, and I know now you probably have to, like you said, focus on business, but I'm just curious if there's something else you wanted to mention. I, I, I think you, you sort of are a little bit too modest in terms of the contributions and the, the importance of those contributions. As, as a corporate leader, Like a, I, I do wish there were more people that were stepping up in the way that you are. So, so there's nothing specific, but I will say that I changed my goal with the Syrian project. My goal was to save 50 Syrian families. Now, for this with, I became the poster child of refugees, so since then I've sponsored another 100 or whatever, and so on, up to a few hundred, several, or I don't know, 400 people or whatever. But um, the um, I changed my goal when I started to get a little bit of press to try to inspire more people to do more good just like what you are doing. And so um, it becomes my purpose, because that, that provides leverage. Can you imagine if the Royal Bank says they want to do something and only 2% of their employees decide to do something and they only put in 1% of the uh, their amount of money that, that they could put in or whatever, that number can be staggeringly huge and inspiring everybody to do their part. And again, it's I, I don't care if you make respirators or ventilators, that maybe isn't your part. I know what your part is. Your part is to try to inspire more people to do more good and to try to keep more of a positive focus on the news cycle because you can sit and watch negative news all the time and um, sit and complain and, and what good does that do? Or what might people be able to do to help their little thing. So that, that that's what my current goal is, which is why I do press. That's good. I, we appreciate you doing press because we, we need stories like this uh, in our cycle, and we need more and more of them. So uh, I hope you do inspire more people. And is, is uh, do the right thing still your, your ongoing mantra, mantra? Yes, I don't have a business card. It says it on the business it card. I'll, I'll email you the front okay. door. 
building, it says do the right thing right above the every time anyone walks in the office, they see do the right thing. Where you end up with ethical dilemma is always it's is any whenever anything's great, what is the right thing to do? Right. And and where it's really, really easy is, no, you don't kick the uh, the grandmother who fell down in the, in the intersection. That's easy. Do the right thing. But um, it's uh, it's where you have uh, any gray that becomes more difficult. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.